Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. We call it the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. I appreciate that. Uh, terrible news from Yerushalayim. What's the latest on this uh, terror attack on Harabayat? Um, we know that uh, that even Abbas uh, today um, condemned the uh, the attack, and I know that the, the two police officers uh, um, were wounded and uh, they died uh, of their wounds. It's, this has been confirmed now, so it's a uh, it's really um, a tragedy. And the guy who did it came from Umar Fakhum, which has been a source of. Uh, extremism and uh, for a long time and a uh, very troublesome area uh, so um, I know that the security cabinet is meeting they were convened right after uh, the attack about uh, two hours ago three hours ago um, General, generally Harabayat the Temple Mount and I know that you know nowhere in Israel unfortunately get, falls into this category but but generally it's been sort of like a, a no-touch zone for terrorism, right? I mean, this is a this is a real. I mean, we we know what would happen if if it was you know if it was the opposite uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, you know there being a terror attack on those who are who are praying up there. You get my point. Uh, but but generally, even even the terrorists usually stay away from that area. Right. Well, they came down from the Temple Mount with the firearms. We know that uh, periodically. They have been caught storing weapons up there. Wow. And we believe that there there are, uh, whether it was rocks at one time, but uh, in, in general, they, they've had uh, reports and there were discussions with WACF and they supposedly took them off. Uh, but now we've had a series of attacks at soldiers and police, uh, in addition, of course, always some civilians. But right. uh, I think that they're targeting them because they think that the, you know, there'll be more understanding when you go after somebody in uniform. And, you know, of course, the death of the young woman, and which had a profound impact in Israel. And when I was there yesterday for the day, um, it was uh, uh, really still uh, resonating with people. So I think... Um, the the uh, use of the Temple Mount now, will, and this after supposedly new measures were instituted to um, add additional security checks of some kind. I don't know; they have they never revealed what it was, but specifically to address this. So I think you're going to see more restrictions on Friday prayers, and people will call for all sorts of measures, uh, but. The uh, and and this underscores the need for the Taylor Force Law, which is right now oh, yeah. before Congress. I mean, as we speak, I know that I know that I could predict how rightfully you would react to this question, but understand how I'm asking it. He does react, meaning Abbas, and does condemn it. Uh, is this an exception for him? Generally, he will never uh, open up when it comes to uh, and say anything when it comes to these types of terror attacks. Correct. I think she he he didn't uh, condemn the killing of the police officer, the woman, uh, and he was reluctant. It's very rare that he he does anything of that kind that we're explicitly condemning a particular attack and always then goes into yelling um, 
uh, about uh, about Israel and yeah. trying to switch the responsibility. Yeah, the reason I ask it is, is like that is because in this case, you'd have to assume it's only because of the location that he felt he had no choice but to open his mouth, right? Well, also because of the Taylor Force Law now being before Congress. I mean, he knows it. He doesn't. They don't want to see this cut and the, the cut and aid that it would entail. So I think it's that. I think it's the pressure that he's had from the United States and uh, over this issue. And, of course, the blatant nature of this. There was no provocation. There was nothing. It never is when these attacks generally take place. So I think there are a lot of reasons why he felt the need to, to say something at this time. Uh, but I, I don't know that it represents some sort of a major shift in his part. Right. And, uh, and, I, and I would assume that uh, it goes without saying that the uh, security up there this afternoon is, uh, is, is, is well reinforced. Well, it's closed. It's, That's it's it. Closed nobody's, uh, nobody's getting in? They're not getting in, and the, uh, everybody who was up there was, was taken off. And that's that. Uh, all right. Um, we go to the um, uh, national political scene in Israel. And um, uh, uh, Gabai beats Peretz in the Labor Party elections. And all of a sudden, I'm reading articles about how he certainly could beat Bibi. So, number one, it was a little bit of a surprise that he took the primary, right? That he that he wanted uh, in the runoff. Am I right? That that was, if you were, yeah. if you were a betting man, you would have, you would have thought Peretz would win. And and the other um, and the other point is, I mean, I know that the media, many parts of the media in Israel, have this great desire to replace the prime minister. So I understand some of it might be, you know, a little bit has to be taken a little bit tongue in cheek or with a grain of salt. But do you think he is beatable? Because BB, till now, we know that's one of the things we always say about him. He's essentially been unbeatable. That's one of the reasons that he's in power so long. Is this candidate suddenly somebody who could turn the tide? Well, I met with him. Um, I was, as I said, I was in Israel for a day, but from the airport I went and met with him. Um, Meaning Gabai. With, with Avi Gabai. He, he's a young guy, he's articulate, he's smart, he's uh, presentable. Uh, he doesn't have a history, really, in, in politics. He was a minister for a short while as a member of Kulanu and resigned. Uh, he was the head of Bezek, uh, and he seems to have uh, made some money. I don't know if just at Bezek or other business ventures, uh, but he, he ran a very clever campaign, and it's not so much how he, he beat Peretz, but you have to remember that the, all the candidates, including right. Herzog, that... Uh, he that, had to come in first or second, right? And he did exactly, it. for the runoff. Right. And Herzog came in a distant third. Right. So the... he he And I saw some of the posters and stuff that he, he utilized in the kind of campaign he ran. Uh, now, on a national scene, though, he he will not. He's not a member of Knesset, so he can't become the head of the faction. Herzog will remain as chairman of the Knesset faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a gesture, and I think he you know doesn't consider it a threat to his uh, leadership. So he will now have to uh, see whether in the next year or so you have mayor elections and others coming up in eighteen, but the prime minister's race in. 19. Mm-hmm. There's talk about a coalition of the left, uh, whether Kulana would join the Arabs from the other side, uh, Merits or or uh, other parties would come together, coalesce in some way. Could Would he uh, find a way of, of joining with Yair Lapid? Those are all speculative questions. But right now, the latest polls will still show, and still do show, that Netanyahu 
is ahead and would get and could would still get the largest number of tickets. It's it's sort of like the the situation here where you know Trump they show low popularity numbers, but amongst his core constituency, he's still very strong. Right. And uh, Netanyahu retains the support of the Likud voters who put him in office. Um, I, I'm, I'm not looking for you to reveal anything in a private, but I mean, when you sit down to a conversation with someone like him, is he telling you why it's necessary to replace the prime minister? Is he complaining to you about all the things that the current PM is doing wrong? Um, no, that wasn't the, the, the substance of the discussion. Uh, unfortunately, today in Israel, wherever you go, the big issue that the people invoke are the scandals. I mean, literally, it's a, a universal issue that is raised because uh, this week was <clears throat> another chapter in the uh, scandal of regarding submarines. Right which is the latest in, the, in a long series, there have been few convictions. But here you have very key people, including former head of the Navy and uh, a key member of the prime minister's team, put under house arrest and renewed house arrest. So that, that was, that's really the issue. And, and when people begin to lose confidence or feel that, uh, you know, they build fatigue already about these things, it's... Uh, this is is really the dominant issue, uh, certainly in Israeli politics. You know, they they love this stuff in the Israeli media. Um, you know, will, is oriented towards the left or center left at least, and they eat. They will highlight and promote any of these uh, kind of scandals. So that was the, that is a prime issue. But he talked to me about his uh, larger goals, and we talked about the relationship with American Jewry, things like that. Um, uh, do all roads? I mean, I know this is a submarine scandal. This is the Bezek scandal. I don't know. If there, are there any others that I'm not aware of? I don't know if there are any others that I'm not aware of. But I mean, do- yeah, whether the personal ones, you know, with complaints of of workers, and then about the, the so the bottles and, the, right. and so many of them are just silly. This but one because the- it involves government funding, right? Um, And because the Bezek one involves his personal relationships and influence he may have had for a friend of his, you know, everyone always loves that, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But so far, there are no charges against the prime minister, we should remember, even though it doesn't appear that way from the, as it's reported, but... It's like, uh, you know, the Kotel story, they're, they're, there's cores of truth, but there are, or there's so much distortion and misrepresentation. Um, by the way, if you were in Israel this week, is it still a hot issue, the Kotel story? Is it still a- Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Is there, a, is there going to be a renewed... Not for, it's not for Israelis today. They're concerned about how it impacts American Jewry, and they still are getting the protests, and, and the, you know, the issues are, are not resolved. You have uh, a lot of uh, matters, including the conversion issue, which will, will still come up. Uh, is there a renewed effort for a compromise in Israel itself? Or Yeah, on the on the Kotel there are still discussions. And remember that the, the discussion is only about the additional area because right. the Robinson's Arch area, which will allow for the uh, alternative uh, groups, to, uh, alternative prayer, they, they, that remains open and is being expanded. So when people find that out, they're surprised because they thought that everything was closed and that the decision was um, to do away with all. And it's not it's not true. Yeah. Last week, there was I think I think it was over the weekend. There was an attack in uh, the Sinai that killed 26. Was it Egyptian soldiers? 22 Egyptians. um, And who's taking responsibility for that? 
So this is really an important story because it relates to the the larger picture that ISIS that people think is dead because they're fighting in Raqqa and they're right. losing, they lost in Mosul and they're supposedly under siege. Well, every ISIS. headline you read is, you know, which country and group is destroying ISIS? Like, no, nobody's giving them credit for surviving. And they and they do survive each time. And it's not, they will, they will reshape, you know, the, the feeling was in many groups go through this, where they needed territorial base, and that gave them additional strength. And, of course, you can operate differently, and you collect taxes. And uh, like for Mosul, where they made a lot of money from a big city, uh, collecting taxes and kidnapping people and all sorts of other uh, activities. Uh, so ISIS is shifting to, they will shift to carrying out terrorist attacks, going back to more of the original uh, style. But uh, the importance of, of what we saw there in, in the, the Sinai, this attack, was going on just as negotiations between Hamas and Egypt about the return of the Hlan, who uh, had been exiled in the UAE for much time and has their backing, that he would come back to try to take over in Egypt because Hamas, remember, losing the money from Qatar, that campaign now, and Iran has cut back on the funding, uh, and so have uh, Kuwait used to fund them, others have funded them. They still receive money from Iran, but it's not the same amount as before, so they are feeling the squeeze, and Egypt wants to break the tie between Hamas and ISIS because these ISIS guys get their weapons through the tunnels of Hamas from the tunnels that go from Sinai to Egypt, from Gaza to Egypt, they are, are treated there. The wounded of ISIS are treated in Gaza. They uh, go there for R&R. There are many connections, including the smuggling of weapons, still from Libya, but elsewhere as well, that uh, go through. And also Hamas people are involved in the attacks. That Some of them have signed on with ISIS. And, of course, whoever pays them the most, will, they will go with. So they, they have signed up, and, and including some of these attack on, on the Israeli, on the Egyptian uh, soldiers. So the, the, um, uh, this area, this whole uh, conflict is, is integrally related with the broader picture, and especially about uh, the attempts by Egypt to pacify again and destroy uh, ISIS, which they've invested a lot in doing. They haven't exactly achieved it yet. And the um, uh, potential here for some sort of a move, longer-term move, uh, which would see the electricity restored and money coming in and uh, projects, and it seems Israel is supportive of this as well. They literally pay for recruits. They uh, absolutely they pay for recruits, and and, and, the, and the, the question here is: Will they? Will Hamas continue uh, this this support and and allow them all the freedoms that uh, ISIS the freedoms that they've had, and and the very fact that those discussions that were taking place as the attack happened, and Hamas has to prove to Egypt that they can control the movement of terrorists, then Egypt will will provide the fuel for electricity. Otherwise, they will keep the border closed and stop the, the shipments. And it's created tremendous pressure within, uh, within Gaza. And Abbas has been pressuring Israel not to provide these things as well. So remembering that if the terrorists and ISIS come from the membership members of Hamas 
and these guys are trained in using weapons and explosives and digging the tunnels. So this this is for Egypt a vital issue as it is for Israel. Um, we always talk about the uh, uh, how well funded Hezbollah is, um, Hamas to a degree. You know, again, depending on the who has what type of relationship at the point with Iran, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is, is ISIS well funded as well? Like, is money not an issue with any of these groups? You know, if, if somebody really is going for the highest bidder in terms of being recruited, they have plenty of offers out there? Well, first of all, terrorist groups don't need a lot of money. You know, it's not like a standing army. And they, they, But they do need uh, funds to feed and to arm and to train. But it, it is, doesn't require the kind of uh, the amounts that we are normally talk about when we talk about defense forces uh, or offensive forces. Here also... The, uh, the their method is to tax the people. They were making the money from the oil. You remember when in, in Syria, when they took over, they took the oil-rich region, and they were charging per barrel a fee for everything, every truck that they would allow to take oil out or in. And they were selling oil to the Syrian government while they were at war with them. The um, uh, They do get some outside uh, funding, but I think it's, it's uh, less. They kidnap people, and you might... It might sound uh, not serious, but it, it, it amounts to many, many millions and millions of dollars that they take in ransom payments. They also charge people not to serve. Wow. So, then, by the way, it's not just there. Iran, the same thing. Iran has a line item in its budget of a couple hundred million dollars that people pay not to have to serve in the army. So a real fine. They, they fine them for... Uh... Yeah. Thing, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it makes sense. Or you buy a way out is another yeah, way. I guess, I guess in the old days they just forced you to actually be drafted, but now they have a better way to uh, to, to capitalize on it. So. And and what, also because people tend to lump all these groups together, and it is hard to know where the Muslim Brotherhood was ISIS, Al Qaeda, and Iran. But Iran is fighting ISIS because it blocks that highway that I've talked about many times because I think it's really significant that goes from Iran through Iraq and, and Syria to Lebanon, will bring it up to the Israeli border, will enable them to smuggle, to bring weapons in uh, to, uh, all, all along the route and to provide it to Hezbollah without facing Israeli uh, air campaigns and efforts to, to stop it. It won't stop uh, Israel's efforts to prevent sophisticated weapons from reaching uh, Hezbollah, but it, it would make a big difference if uh, they were able to ship the weapons uh, through northern Iraq and Syria uh, to Hezbollah, and they call it the resistance highway. So the the absence of, of ISIS opens up the area, and then the United States is trying to fill it and to contain the the uh, resistance highway. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NahumSegal.com, on the NahumSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, it's the weekly update. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, speaking about uh, Israel and the Jewish world. Um, tell me about uh, Bibi's reaction to uh, to the UNESCO um, a vote that we spoke about last Friday. They declare the um, uh, they declare Marat Machpelah, the cave of the patriarchs, as a Palestinian heritage site. Uh, Bibi has uh, something to say about this on Sunday. Tell me wh- how he reacted and what you thought of it. 
Well, he reacted with a, a lot of anger, as he should have, but we should have been doing this for two years, as, at least as long as we've been discussing it on this program and warning about the implications of this. And people even now react with skepticism about it, and they say, you know, so what difference does it make? It's a huge difference. Number one, it's an historical injustice to deny Jews the connection to all of their most sacred places. But think about it, what your grandchildren will face when they are barred from going into the, the Harabayat, the, the Kotel, Rachel's tomb, the Cave of the Patriarchs, all of these of the most sacred places. And believe me, it's not over. They're still, they'll go after other places, too. And these are declared Muslim heritage sites, not Christian and not Jewish. All of our history were wiped out. And they will say, you have no right to go to these places. Look, the United Nations 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 30 years ago, declared all of these to be Muslim places. They're not, it's not nothing to do with Jewish heritage. And you and it, it has implications. It's a declaration. It limits Israel's right for archaeological things and all sorts of other uh, side effects. But the declaration itself is you know, a refutation of 3,800 years of Jewish history, a denial of that history, because they're trying to cut us off from, from our land and and the the whole tradition, our heritage. Now, I can't understand why the Christian community is so indifferent to this, and I will speak about it at the Christians United for Israel conference coming up next week, To that, that we need to hear from them as well to, to express outrage. I know Pastor Hagee has, but by and large, they've been silent, and Christian countries, Catholic countries, voted sometimes for these resolutions, and now the vote has been diminished, and we're seeing a change in that regard, but still far from from what it should be. Yeah. So, well, let me go back to BB for a second. Because, I mean, first of all, you know, the, the indifferent attitude, and I'm being kind, I think, saying it that way, that he's had toward Hebron, I think actually um, uh, lent a little bit of... Uh, of this tone to um, uh, to everybody who follows Chevron, everybody who you know around the world who uh, who, who um, was judging whether UNESCO is right or wrong to do this. That's the first thing. But all right, we could sit and debate that forever in terms of whether he really um, has effectively uh, connected the Jewish people to Chevron over the last couple of decades. But more importantly, um, he, he decides to set aside a million dollars that should have gone to UNESCO or to the UN. You could explain how that happens. And establish a, a Jewish heritage center in the holy city of Hebron. That is, what type of reaction is that, as far as you're concerned? Well, first of all, he has limited reactions that are available to him, except uh, that you build and you create facts on the ground. But, uh, you know, I impressed him for a long time about the failure to answer UNESCO properly, which is not um, uh, with emotional arguments, but we have all the archaeological proof. Why haven't they convened the world's great archaeologists to talk about the facts of whose who, who sites these are? Because they're non-Jews, they're people who have been doing excavations in Israel for, for decades, who can testify and give testimony to it. And I, I have to say that I, I was somewhat critical of his reaction on the first round, because I thought it, it made light of the decision. Uh, when they compared it to say that the, 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 to deny the connection of Jews with Jews is like uh, saying peanut butter and jelly, and right. I thought rock and roll don't go together. Um, and, and I understand that he was trying to diminish it and to, to make fun of it, you know, like Shamir said, um, shmoom, and dismiss it, but it's, it can't be dismissed. This is a, an historical record that now U.N. documents only mention the Haram Sharif for Temple Mount or 
or Al-Burak's wall for the Kotel. And, uh, and I think in Hebron itself, the, uh, a reaffirmation, maybe a visit there should have taken place. There Malcolm, other things Malcolm, did you, did you roll your eyes when he threw a million dollars at Hebron? No, I, it, it, because I, I think he was looking for something demonstrative that he could do, something that would say, you know, reaffirm their commitment and, and tie the, the history of, of, uh, of the Jewish people to, to the city. It's not well known, and people, you know, because the focus has always been so much on Jerusalem, that little effort is made and little investment is made in really telling the story of Hebron, which is, you know, preceded Jerusalem as capital of Jewish people, and we have the deed. The whole, the whole Judeo-Christian tradition accepts the biblical account of Abraham buying it, so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of the most blatant and, and oldest contracts in the world. Yeah. Or maybe the oldest in history. Yeah, I believe that. We've always been taught that, that's for sure. Tell me about this water deal that was negotiated by Jason Greenblatt this week. Well, this actually it was negotiated over a number of years, and uh, this is a, a proposal that has been extant for, for a long time. It deals with the water supply and the... Um, so the the question is what uh, what the significance the the fact that Abbas did not participate in it, it was negotiators from both sides that Zahi and Egbi from the Israeli side I think side Arakat uh, or someone else from the Palestinian side um, and I, and I do believe that this is uh, a way to go which is to take incremental steps to create uh, facts Israel turned over a power station to the Palestinians things that affect quality of life that make a change on the ground that there's not going to be direct negotiations on borders and stuff right now because Abbas clearly is not ready for it we're not interested in and so much pressure etc is brought to bear on him uh, the addition of uh, David Friedman now to the team and the Abbas wouldn't meet with him in Ramallah that only in Jerusalem so he met with um, some of the negotiators uh, from the team, um, from the Palestinian negotiating team. Um, but but this is what BB and others have said, and many other, many others have articulated for a long time: is you have to keep the dynamic moving. You got to show the people on the ground that there is progress, that things are changing, and their their general life conditions are not that great that that this kind of a measure when you show them that they that we're acting with their water you're acting with quality of life issues uh providing uh, additional uh, assistance right that makes a difference yeah and and then it it sort of fills the void of the absence of the bigger negotiations and you see the pressure for that still continues yeah. you can't enforce it and you don't have a guy in Abbas who's ready to negotiate right but also it seems and it's i think Seth Siegel pointed this out in the i don't know when his op-ed is appearing Mr. Water and I say that with great compliments of course um but he wrote an op-ed and essentially what I got from it was that uh, you know when you have when you have a partner on the other side who's actually willing to acquiesce and sit down you'll see the benefit of discussions with Israel and that's one of the things we learn here. I don't know if it's Abbas or if it's really more that the that this is one of the areas, water, you know, you know, we know how important it is. Water's one of the only areas that they're willing to, you know, to actually deal with and to make a deal for because it's so vital. Everything else I don't think is as vital to them. I don't know if peace is as vital to them as water is for their people. You understand what I'm saying? 
Yes, and, and in many regions, many places in the Middle East, water is the, the it, well, it's everywhere the source of life, but uh, Israel, which has moved expeditiously to become water self-sufficient, and has offered this repeatedly to the Palestinians to to help and to try to get them from poisoning the aquifers, and and uh, now with the shuttle for the electricity, for instance, in Gaza, people don't know, but this is causing tremendous pollution problems on the Mediterranean coast, because they're not uh, refining, they're not uh, processing the garbage and stuff. It's, it's being dumped, and it, and it, it, it feeds into the sea uh, 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 in, in its raw nature. So the, the things again that people don't think about, and that impacts Israel as well. The the water issue. You're right. It's one of the most sensitive issues. Uh, Israel has it provides water to Jordan. They have un, uh, understandings that go back longer. And Israel has been very generous in its uh, in its um, response to the needs of of Jordan and the Palestinians. It, the, the problem is that they don't take the steps. You know, there's a lot of illegal leaking up, linking up to the pipes, which leads to le- leakage, and it it uses. And it wastes a huge amount of water because they won't enforce the laws and, and have people use the traditional ways. And the PA itself does not invest in it. And it leads to, um, I mean, I guess what you just said, it leads to waste. And let them, and, uh, to, but, but big amounts. And let them stop paying the money to the terrorists and use that money to build a, a, a sewer system and water transference uh, uh, pipes, etc. It will be a greater contribution. Uh, you heard about what's going on in Canada. Israeli wines that have a Made in Israel label have been ordered removed from the shelves. Yeah, that's been rescinded. Oh, it's they, over with? Over. It's been rescinded. <laughs> and I know the Welfare Project for Oakland. I know that Canadian Jewish groups worked on it. What happened um, in 24 hours? It, it was rescinded very quickly wow. by uh, the minister, but it's, I, I think it's it's uh, better to say that it's under review. Right. The the decision itself has been suspended. It, it affected um, two two wines from Israel uh, made in, in, in the, the territories, including Sagot, and the um, uh, but the, the implications of it are very serious, that once you start this, it's a slippery slope. It starts going to all the products, and the, the question is, could they be labeled, labeled made in Israel? And you know, in Europe, many places, they um, confiscate items that come from West Bank if they're marked made in Israel. So this is, it's a serious matter. It's part of the BDS campaign, and the boycott against Israel, and, and so the Canadian government moving quickly to rescind it is important. By the way, um, um, there are people who are calling for um, uh, Nassau Coliseum to not allow Roger Waters uh, to perform there. Um, I, I, we've discussed so many times on this, you know, during this segment, you know, boycotts and how to go about this. Um, and, and a lot of people are happy about it, of course, you know, that uh, people can get refunds on their tickets and are demanding that he not play there. Uh, what's your opinion? I know, I know that we should be outspoken, certainly, about what he says and things like that. But should we be calling for boycotts and silencing him in that way? So this is a, a long debate, as you mentioned, and there are people on both sides who care about the issue, who agree on the substance, but don't agree about the tactics. But here you have somebody who's been so blatant, in, and, and not only did he does he himself boycott Israel and announces it all the time, but he has used uh, his uh, ability to pressure others uh, other performers 
and to threaten them and to cajole them, according to reports, and to um, uh, to get them to boycott Israel as well. A real so this, bully pulpit. Uh, yeah, exactly. And but but you know, and and spreading these slanderous accusations against Israel in the process. So I think people have a right to 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 say. We do not believe that this facility, and I don't know who owns it, but I'm pretty sure it's owned by, uh, it's uh, governmentally owned, the, the National Coliseum, uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, but regardless, I think that they have a, a right to say that a public facility should not be given over to somebody who has so publicly uh, campaigned against Israel and to to make, if at the very least, make people aware when they're buying tickets to understand that uh, Pink Floyd is not something that they should be uh, supporting. Is there any uh, better way for the Rabbanut to go about um, uh, making public some of the information they want to dispense um, than some of the ways they've done so recently? You know, we talked about the Kotel earlier. We are looking for unity. We're looking for you know, a softer approach between one another. You've always encouraged us on that because it's the it's the it's the much better way of handling things. Uh, but sometimes these lists and um, and their proclamations, uh, I think, come out the wrong way, or are done, or mistimed, or done improperly. Uh, is this a topic that came up during your one day visit to Israel this week? Well, again, it's one. It's part of the ongoing uh, discussion uh, triggered by the hotel. But so. First of all, overall, I think wisdom in a lot of these dictate it would dictate not releasing any of this. This supposedly was a uh, you're talking about the blacklisting of certain rabbis uh, yeah. or quote blacklisting, and uh, the chief rabbi came out furious about it. It was never meant to be public, or it, it maybe it was just, just raw information that was not really uh, finalized and, and not approved. Uh, so the first thing is that this should not be going to the public at all until there is uh, uh, some verification. And if it's true, I think it's a practice that is offensive to, to most and, and uh, should be done very carefully. I'm not saying that, that, that you know, we, we don't get into, I don't get into these issues because they're halachic issues. And, you know, this has to be the, discussed in a very sensitive and a, and a higher level and the content and the, the, the decisions uh, about whose conversions are accepted and not accepted is very sensitive. Um, but I think that the overall behavior here and the the leak the the fact that people leak uh, sensitive information and uh, are engaged in in these activities is is disturbing. So I think that the Ramanut should be thinking two, three, four times about what they say and how they say it. Amen to that. Finally, uh, Iran is building long range ballistic missiles in Syria. Is this a surprise? Uh, no, because if you remember, I told you they were building these underground factories. So now we we learn that they are trying to um, assemble and build the uh, missiles in in Syria in uh, Lebanon. This avoids the attacks Israel has been, as you know, hitting them pretty ha- uh, hard uh, and trying to take them out. Any of the advanced weapons uh, that transverse uh, through Syria, it doesn't mean that they get it all the time. And now. Um, Israel has to face both the presence in Lebanon and the fact that Hezbollah is an integral part of the Lebanese army and Lebanese government. Um, but 
But here you have uh, some more uh, serious considerations for Israel because of the growing military presence of Iran in Syria, where they believe in Iraq. And the Shia massing on the borders, on the joint borders, and uh, they built up also pro-Assad militia of local Syrians, which are called the National Defense Forces, which also has tens of thousands of members. And it is the Iranians and all of their linked groups that are keeping them in power. Therefore, Russia wants to keep Iran there because they keep, they guarantee and, and seem to keep uh, Assad uh, in power. But the, the you know the United States, Israel is pressing uh, the Russians and everybody about the safe zones, and there's even talk of Israel creating some sort of uh, an army on the Syrian border, uh, utilizing Syrians and and people who are sympathetic and uh, maybe Druze and others who who would uh, join together to try to protect both the Jordanian border and uh, and the border with the Golan. But the Iranians are are clearly invested heavily there. They're not going to get out. They're they're building their bases, and this is is something that is uh, is going to continue. We see them also, by the way, uh, when when you talk about the cost of money, you know, the Houthis uh, control Baba Mandab the, to get, and the Iranians, in fact, control it. Uh, through them and the Straits of Hormuz, and I've discussed this many times and won't do it now, but to understand the strategic importance, we understand that they are making booby-trapped boats that will go there and can attack at will. And we have, the United States has many military ships that transfers there. Uh, the oil for the West, uh, 60% of it, uh, it transverses these uh, straits. Um, these are all very serious issues that you know, don't get the attention. But the fact that Iran is repopulating Syria with Shiites and, and moving the this, this Sunnis out, um, they are, um, uh, and their gains in, in Mosul uh, make it easier for them to, to move the weapons. Uh, all of these things are interrelated. What we said before about the resistance highway, what we see in terms of, of the, the new offensive uh, of uh, Assad in in certain areas. He took 20 villages in, in southern Syria and near Sueda, which was left out of the agreement for some reason. And Israel uh, wants to keep the buffer. Right now they are quiet and you don't have any errant fire because the ceasefire applies to that, uh, um, to that area. But Iran is building new uh, military facilities in Syria. They're building their capacity there and uh, this is uh, represents a long-term danger uh, to israel unbelievable all right thank you so much malcolm have a wonderful shabbos we'll speak again next week there he is malcolm holine executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations fridays seven forty eastern time here at jm in the am